Our scripture today is from Exodus 19. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain nor touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down, and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Lord, we come to you hungry for your word and needing to be fed. We pray that you would make our hearts ready to receive your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would indwell Pastor Andrew and that you would give him the words that would touch our hearts and inspire us to take what we hear here today and to be your witnesses, to enjoy you and to bring you glory so that others may see Jesus in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Well, we are coming to the end of our particular journey through Exodus. It's obviously not the end of the book of Exodus. We're about halfway through, but uh, as far as we're going to go right now, uh, Israel started in Egypt. They have now journeyed to Sinai. Uh, They will actually be at Sinai for a relatively short period of time, a little bit less than a year, uh, and, uh, but that will take us from where we are in Exodus 19 all the way to uh, L- Numbers 10, verse 11. So the, a, big chunk of the, a big chunk of the Pentateuch is actually taking place geographically at Sinai. Uh, but we've seen a lot of things as we've journeyed. We've seen, uh, we've seen the tyranny of the Egyptians. We've seen the hesitancy of Moses. We've seen the, the dreadful holiness of God as, as he met Moses on the road uh, to kill him in Exodus chapter 4. We've seen his power and his majesty displayed in his battle with the Egyptian gods and uh, portraying over that. We've seen the hardness of the Israelites' hearts. I mean, we've seen all sorts of things. And, and God has been determined to lead His people out of slavery and to eventually lead them into the promised land. But ultimately, and we have to see this in the right way, God is leading His people to himself. We get that here in Exodus chapter 19. They are going to meet God. Here's how one commentator puts it. They might have thought that they were traveling to Sinai, but the Lord was more concerned with the spiritual aspect of their journey than the geographical. The spiritual pollution of Egypt had mitigated against entering into a close relationship with the Lord. As they had traveled, they had repeatedly been made to realize their utter dependence on Yahweh. Now, at Sinai, they are removed from the corrupting environment of Egypt. They're living day to day on the bounty of His provision, and they can focus on developing an intimate and obedient relationship with their benefactor. And as we approach this text in the close of our little series here, we realize that the invitation to believe and belong has ultimately been about believing the Lord Jesus Christ, believing God as He is portrayed to us in the Scriptures, and belonging to Him. That's what this journey has always been about. And sometimes we forget that. You know, as we think about 
the American church today, evangelicalism, as we think about even our own hearts, it's easy to see how we become so focused on what our needs are and, and what our momentary thoughts are rather than meeting God. John Fisher, who is a theologian pastor, in an article where it's called Longing for Something Old, puts it this way. He says, as the church today gets more and more hip, more and more need-oriented, responding to the buttons that people push in their pews, I find myself longing for more of a historical faith. I find uh, myself not wanting to have everything explained to me in simple terms. I'm not even sure I want all my needs met as much as I want to meet God. And sometimes I wonder if he's really interested in the noise of our contemporary clamoring. It's a little bit like my dog who can't seem to get anywhere because he keeps having to stop and scratch his fleas. I wonder if we're so busy scratching where everybody itches that we aren't taking anyone anywhere significant. As we come to Exodus 19, the invitation is to meet God to in the midst of all that we come into worship with, to, to come to His feet and, and to see Him as He really is. And I have three observations for you. Put them a little bit different. You're going to have to fill in some, uh, some wording here. The first one is this. As we come to meet God, we cannot get this wrong. Now, what is the this? The this is, you cannot get wrong that grace comes first. Grace has to always precede a meeting with God. Otherwise, we are consumed. Otherwise, we could never stand before His holiness. And this certainly is the case here. We have been, it's been demonstrated to us time and time again. It has become abundantly clear to us that Israel did not deserve to have a God like Yahweh. That Israel, Moses, their leader, left to themselves, they were hesitant, they were disobedient, they were worshiping idols, they would turn away. The minute God rescued them from Egypt, they're already grumbling, they're already turning back. I wish that we were back in slavery. Throughout the scriptures, it is clear to us uh, that God is the initiator of the work in our lives, that His grace always comes and is completely necessary if we are going to experience any level of freedom. We see that here in chapter 19, uh, verse 4, 5, the Lord called to Moses out of the mountain saying, say this to the house of Jacob, the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak 
to the people of Israel. Right in these verses here, we have that order. Uh, eagle's wings. I love that picture. Uh, some of you who are Tolkien fans uh, probably can see the picture of the eagles, right? Coming to, to rescue Sam and Frodo at the very end when Mount Doom is exploding and there's fire everywhere. And it's only the eagles. You know, Luther said we can only be rescued from above. We're caterpillars in a ring of fire. We can't make our way out. We're too slow and too sluggish. The only rescue is from above. And that's exactly, that's exactly the picture that God is reminding the Israelites of. I've rescued you on eagle's wings. When, when you had no ability to do it on your own, I came and plucked you out of Egypt. And I flew you to safety. I flew you not just to a geographical safety, but I flew you to myself. I've taken you away from all of the noise in Egypt so that you can know me and you can see me and you can worship me aright. Now, there are going to be uh, statutes and standards, ways to walk. We, we see that here. If you will obey me, he says uh, in verse 5. Uh, and we struggle with this sometimes. Is this conditional? Is God, is God making his blessing, which then comes in uh, the next part where he says, you'll be my treasured possession, kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Is his blessing conditional on obedience? Well, we have to put it all together, and the answer is yes and no. Uh, the, you know, obviously, grace comes first. Uh, so there is no condition to your being saved. Uh, God comes into your life and will extricate you out of your situation. That happens regardless. I mean, that happens because of God's sovereign choice and, and God's uh, determination to rescue us. We are loved just because, not because of anything in ourselves. Israel's relationship with God makes that absolutely clear. But if we want to enjoy the blessing, we, we are called to walk in the way that he lays out for us. Uh, that, that's not really a condition so much as it's just the way it is. It, it's the crea created order of things. Uh, for instance, if, I wanna, if I'm a fish and I want to enjoy all of the blessings and the freedoms of being a fish, I need to make sure I stay in the water. I can't, I can't enjoy the blessings and freedoms of being a fish on dry ground. I, I, I'm not designed that way. I, I can't do that. And, and it's the same thing that God is saying to the Israelites here. If you want to enjoy the blessings, then, then walk this way before me. Uh, stay within the confines. This is where I think we get a little bit confused today with regards to freedom. You know, we think about freedom as being the absolute absence of, of any rules, uh, the absolute forbearance or, or foregoing of any type of restrictions, but actually biblical freedom, and I think if you stop and think about this for a minute philosophically, you'll understand that true freedom is living within the right rules, the right restrictions. It's not the absence of those things. I mean, we, we live within gravity. We live, you know, all sorts of restrictions and, and things that, that go on around us, and these are what make for a good life. 
And, and that's what this whole section from Exodus 19 to Numbers chapter 10 is about. God is saying to them, I want to show you how to live before me. I want to show you how you can walk worthy. I want to show you how you can obey, not in order to earn my love, but because this is who I am and how I've created you, and this is safety, safety for you. And the Israelites recognize this. We're going to come to that in just a second. God is is good, but he's not tame, right? To use, uh, to use Lewis and Aslan. Uh, God is good, but he's not tame. And the Israelites are asking, how do we live before you? So we have to get this order right. God saves us in order that we might be the people that he has called us to be. Uh, in order that we might live before him obediently, walk worthy, not because that's going to earn our salvation, but because it's what he's equipping us for. And the result is that we're his treasured possession, uh, his, uh, his, uh, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. This is language that is picked up later in 1 Peter chapter 2. The Old Testament is so crucial. You cannot understand the Bible without understanding the Old Testament. Uh, this idea that we can just focus on the New Testament and get rid of the Old Testament, that's crazy. Uh, you have to understand the Old Testament or you will not understand the Scriptures. Listen to what Peter says to the people in verse 9 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our identification. What God says to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 19 is the identification for the people of God for all times and always. And he says three very uh, important things. Uh, first is they're a holy nation. I'm going in reverse order here. Actually, I'm going to mix up the order completely. So uh, uh, they, uh, they're a holy nation. They're set apart. They're called. Uh, Peter puts it this way. You're a chosen people. It's not because of anything in them. Remember uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, God says it's because you were least among all the peoples that I chose you. Deuteronomy 7 verse 11. So they're chosen. They're set apart, holy, consecrated for the Lord. Uh, they are uh, a treasured possession. God has set his love on them. And verse, uh, here in our text, it says, verse 6 or verse 5, uh, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. When kings in those days had uh, over a nation state, their possessions, I mean, they literally owned the country. Uh, so everything was theirs, and that's what God is saying here. All the earth is mine. Everything is mine. But the, the word here that's used in Hebrew speaks to the, the king's own personal treasure. And, and it's this personal treasure. There's an intimacy, the kind of thing that he would keep in his bedroom. Uh, there, there is just such an intimacy, such a love, a tenderness here as God talks about his people. You're, you're my treasured possession. I, yes, I own everything. All the people, all the earth, everything belongs to me. But you, 
I've set my affection on you. You are my treasured possession out of all of the world. You are the one that has captured my heart. And I have given you dignity and I have given you a task. You are to be a kingdom of priests. You're set apart. You're treasured in order that you might proclaim the glory of God to the world, or as Peter says it, uh, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We have a task. Uh, God has called us into partnership with Him. He's called us to be His colleagues. Did He need colleagues? Absolutely not. God can do all of His holy will, but His holy will is to dignify you, to dignify me with the task of proclaiming His excellency, with the task of inviting others to come out of darkness into His marvelous light. It is such a beautiful picture of God's grace, uh, and it's so important for us to see, especially as we get into the, the sections of, you know, forming the temple and right worship and uh, all of the holiness laws and Leviticus and the Ten Commandments and everything that is in this section to understand that grace precedes law. That law, uh, walking before God in obedience is a way to play out His grace. And you cannot get that order wrong. It is so important that we always keep that order correct. Um, uh, but it's such a beautiful picture of who we are before God. Now, having that in mind, we come back to this idea of meeting God. I mean, what is that like? to actually meet God. So again, uh, you know, modern day Ed Clowney, who is a wonderful theologian, about 40 years ago, he said, most people are all, not all that philosophical about worship, about coming to meet God. They rather suspect that God can't afford to be choosy. Given all the competition of business, sports, and television, God should be grateful for any worship that he can get. That attitude is plainly the exact opposite of worship. It assumes that God is there for man's sake, not man for God's sake. Now, I think you recognize where Clowney is coming from in this. But it takes a passage like Exodus 19 to really imprint this on our hearts and on our minds. So let's look at Exodus 19 again. Look at this section here. And note, just as we go to this, the, the people are very quick, right, to say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, verse 8. And that's just the way we are as people. No, no shade here on the Israelites. Uh, they, they are simply mimicking the attitude of all of our hearts. Of course, they, they change their tune a little bit uh, after this encounter with God. But their hearts are ready, but their mind doesn't completely around who this God is. Look at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders, lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. 
And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it and fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So tremble at this, the profound holiness of God. Every time we see in the Scriptures somebody coming into uh, contact with the holiness of God, Uh, there is this sense of awe, and most often there's a sense of being unworthy. We saw this in Isaiah chapter 6, one of the great pictures of God's holiness on display. And when Isaiah saw it, he says, woe to me, for I am undone. I am uh, of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You remember a little bit earlier than Isaiah, a little bit um, earlier even than this, uh, this passage here in Exodus 19, Job. Uh, Job and his friends are questioning God, and God comes to Job in the whirlwind. And Job truly experiences who God is, and what does he say? He says, I repent. And I abhor myself in dust and ashes. When, when Peter, that day, when, when Jesus manifests his, his, uh, his power over creation with the great catch of fish, uh, J- Peter says to him, depart from me. Uh, I am a sinful man. And over and over and over again, when we really meet the holiness of God, it, it makes such an impression on us uh, that we... We can't even think of anything else. I mean, we're, you know, our needs, the, the, the flea bites, you know, the itches, the scratches that we, we so often dominate our existence are so far forgotten because we realize that there is so much more at stake in meeting a holy God than we ever would have thought that there was. Three things here uh, in this passage sort of speak to us about the holiness of God. There's the space issues. Uh, Moses says uh, or sets these boundaries. God through Moses sets these boundaries. Don't go here. You can only come up to the foot of the mountain. Verses 12, 13, 21, 24. Uh, There's a picture here sort of in the mountain. Uh, the top of the mountain where Moses goes, God meets him. It's like the most holy place. Uh, the foot of the mountain where the, the priests are able to go, that's kind of the holy place. And then uh, the land around the mountain is the outer courts of, of the temple. We have a picture here of, of what it's like to approach God, these space limits. And it's so severe. Verse 13, that says, if anybody breaks through or transgresses this, shall be stoned or shot. Uh, arrows, bows, no AK-47s, uh, you know, that, but there is a seriousness to the holiness of God here in terms of the, the approach and, and keeping that way. Now, that may sound harsh to us, but in some senses, in a big sense, I mean, it's God's mercy saying, you you are not equipped to come into the presence of my holiness. I I, I put it this way to keep you safe. 
Uh, and, and it's so much so that if anybody does transgress and they are stoned, they, they are not to be touched. Uh, that's why we have the projectile aspect of this. They are not to be touched because you cannot approach God in hubris and pride and arrogance and think that you will live. They are to consecrate themselves. So space, consecration, we see that in 10, 15, 22, 24. They are to make efforts and make, uh, you know, take care to, to clean themselves up, as it were, before they go before God. There's the command to wash all your clothes. Now, stop. Get the big laundromat out of your mind here. Uh, I had to wrestle with that myself. Sometimes we meet at Sheldon Cleaners here to do our ser- sermon discussion. I was just picturing all the Israelites lining up, you know, loading the washing machines to wash all their clothes. Well, that's not the way it was done. I mean, you've got a million or so Israelites out in the desert. They had no water except for what they're getting from the rock, which is monumental. But God is saying, take care. Take this very precious resource that you have in the desert to wash your clothes. You may think, this is foolish. I should be saving this to drink. But God is saying, no, this is important. You need to wash your clothes before you approach the mountain. The priests are to consecrate themselves. They are to be clean. In verse 15, uh, God says, For three days you are to abstain from the marriage bed because it is such an important thing to come before the Lord. Care and preparation must be made. Now, why the, the command about the marriage bed? Probably because of the association that sexuality had with pagan worship. Uh, God is saying this is very different. You know, there's an intimacy with the marriage bed that is on display. There's an intimacy with meeting God. That's why those two things so often go together, our, our worship and our sexuality. Uh, but God is saying, worship me alone. Uh, consecrate yourself, set yourself apart. Uh, thirdly, we, we note the cloud, and this is God's mercy. We see it in verse 9, we see it again in verse 18, the, the smoke that covers the mountain. Once we understand who God is and, and the tremblings uh, of the people, uh, we understand the mercy of the cloud. Because if He just came to them in the fire, it would consume them. But God cloaks Himself so graciously in the cloud so that they are not consumed by the fire. Now, there's a whole lot that we can say here, and I think we need to say just about our own thinking about who God is and, and how we live Coram Deo before the face of God. Let me just offer you a couple of things. First, this. Some people want to make the mistake and say, this is a, a different God, Old Testament to New Testament. 
We read that passage in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to come back to it. Uh, there is a fullness to our meeting God in the New Testament that we don't see completely here in Exodus 19. But you need to understand that this is the same God. In that same passage, uh, at the end of chapter 12 in Hebrews, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our New Testament God is a consuming fire. God has not changed in His character. God is who He has always been, and it will not change. We need to bow before the Holy One and to recognize that He is still this same God that the Israelites met in Exodus chapter 19. So what does that mean for us? Well, you heard the writer to the Hebrews say, uh, acceptable worship. Uh, it's one of these things that, that we need to think about. Like, how is it that we, we come before the Lord? Part of it is our own consecration, you know, getting ourselves ready uh, for worship. I, I know there are some things that are inherent. I've, we have a big family, and, and I've gotten kids ready on Sunday mornings, and you get to church, and you're all harried, and for some people, it's, it's the worst part of Sunday morning. We, we come anything but ready to worship. Uh, once we've shut down our yelling in the car, uh, we've, you know, so, so I understand that. But there are things that we can do. I mean, every Friday, we send out the bulletin ahead. There's always an invitation to, to read the text, to pray, to get yourself ready for the, for the preaching and the hearing of, of the Word of God. You know, we, we can watch uh, how we, we operate on Saturday nights. So, you know, at least we take out that obstacle of sleep when Vandermoss gets boring. Uh, we, we don't have to worry about, you know, there are ways that we can prepare to come before God. It's one of the reasons why we have confession early in our service. Because we want to recognize before God that we're not the people that you've called us to be. And we are completely dependent on your grace. Uh, we, we, we order our service so that uh, we, we practice the order of grace and we come to the Lord uh, empty of ourselves, open-handed towards His mercy. Uh, and, and then just thinking about worship. Uh, again, clowny, when, when worship doesn't start with the worshiper's quest for God, but with God's quest for worshipers, our media culture disdains arguments about religion. If worship is man's invention to fill his needs, then you might as well just make your own idol. There's no point in arguing about taste and idols, but if worship bows before the living God, then it cannot be shaped by what we want. It must be shaped by what God wants. Verily, or yes, by, by what He is. God's Word, not our traditions, must decide all of our questions about worship. And this is why, I mean, week by week, we, we really strive to keep the Word central in our service. Uh, there are, you know, lots of ways we could preach uh, sermons on how to have, you know, how to live your best life right now. We could talk about, you know, very practical things. And it's not that the Word of God is not practical. But if we're not coming to the Word 
And if that's not shaping our conversations, then we're not coming to God. Uh, we, we come to God through His Word, and, and that is what gives us the direction that we are to go. So we think about the holiness saying, God, I, I'm going bl- to start here. I'm not going to start with what my needs are. And, and this is difficult because, you know, culture is pushing us in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and you recognize this. I mean, we're, we're pushed to, to believe this. We're pushed to find ourselves here. And, and so many of these things are contra the Word of God. But if we really want to reckon with His holiness, we come back with the way that He says, this is the way that you are to walk. And my word reveals my heart. It reveals who I am. And we start there. And of course, you know, when it comes to holiness, there's all kinds of lifestyle things. Uh, We think about our lifestyle and just, I I know for myself, and one of the things I really had to repent of as I'm walking through this passage, is just how lax and, and how easy it is to be lax with regards to holiness before God, a wink and a nod here, uh, whether it's with things that I say about somebody else, uh, gossip or slander, malice. Uh, there, there are so many ways in which we're lax in our holiness. Think about our media culture and the things that it invites us to participate in, to watch, to, you know, you know the things that play in the theater of our mind. You know, when the Israelites in chapter 20, verse 19, they, they said to Moses, you speak and we will listen, but do 